Hello, welcome to uh, episode one of the Aegon podcast. Make sure uh, after you finish listening to this podcast, you go and check out our website. By the time you're listening, the website should be up. That's uh, aegonsupplements.com. That's A-G-O-N supplements.com. You can get uh, some lifestyle tools and supplements. And uh, in the future, we'll be selling some clothing and sportswear to help with your healthy lifestyle. So uh, just quickly, what is Aegon? Uh, so Aegon is uh, going to be a health brand, which, uh, you know, a lot of health brands, you go to the supplement store, you see all the the glossy label proteins, and you don't really know what you're buying. You know, the storekeeper might recommend you something. But at Aegon, we want to uh, we want to tell you what you're buying, why it's good for you, and we research all our products so you know you're not uh, getting that dodgy stuff that's got artificial things in it, which is part of what we're talking about today. And so you can trust us. We can provide the research to you, and uh, we help you live a healthier lifestyle. So today, I'm here with my uh, my brother, Reese, and we're going to be talking about uh, bacon and nitrates. If you don't know, bacon contains nitrates, or most bacon does. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And why nitrates can be good or bad for you, and why you should reconsider having bacon altogether, or why you should opt for uh, nitrate-free bacon. But unfortunately, that is very rare. And there are a few misconceptions about nitrate-free bacon that we're going to go over just to keep you safe. All right, so uh, it's pretty pretty suiting to start with a little history of breakfast because, uh, as we'll get into later, bacon and eggs is more of an invention rather than, you know, something, that, something that's been happening for a long time. The the combination was more of a marketing strategy, but we'll get into that in a second because uh, what I want to talk about is how breakfast was very, very different throughout history. Um, it's, a, it's actually a pretty recent thing how we have this uh, big breakfast and how, you know, quotes, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And, you know, it's good to start with ancient times uh, where the Greeks, Greeks for breakfast normally had bread. Uh, dipped in diluted wine because you know didn't want to get drunk straight in the morning. And this is a uh, you can actually see this in the in Homer's Odyssey in Book Sixteen, which uh, you can check that out yourself. Um, they talk about two men having uh, breakfast over a file. Uh, the Romans similarly didn't have anything too special. Normally, uh, grains or porridge or bread, and breakfast was usually made uh, by poor people because uh, the richer people would have people to make food for them. And they would normally sleep in, and their main meals would be uh, lunch and dinner. So, just uh, in this Odyssey quote, mentions pigs. Yes, mentions the swine herd. So, you know, perhaps uh, pigs have been kind of hanging around breakfast since the beginning of time. Yeah, yeah, that is an interesting, interesting point. Uh, is I guess you can't really tell whether they're just talking about uh, pork in general or bacon. Mm. Uh, just quickly. Uh, You'll probably talk about this, but uh, mm. what actually is bacon? Like, what cut of the pig is bacon? Uh, so bacon is from the pig's belly or along the uh, the back and the sides where it's, it's, you know, this is pretty self-evident. If you go to a grocery store, you see the bacon. You've got that nice uh, strip of fat on the side. Mm. It's usually a very, very fatty cut, which is, you know, why it tastes so good. And uh, sorry if I'm jumping ahead here, but mm. is there, in terms of just meat, does fat store nutrients or toxins in a way that's different to, say, um, muscle? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
a good thing to know is, and I hope that this answers your question, um, tell me if it doesn't, is if you're buying low-quality meat, most, and low-quality being, you know, the animal's probably eating, uh, being given hormones or is eating grains that uh, have fertilizers in it or something like that, all of the toxins, or not all of the toxins, most of the toxins will be stored in the fat. Mm-hmm. So say you're cooking a steak and it's one of those dodgy steaks that they've used dye on to make it look uh, nice and pink and it's not from a pasture-raised animal. Has it got some nice uh, microplastics in there? Yeah, too? probably got some microplastics, especially if it's a sausage. It's probably, you know, at least 20% plastic. What was the, the thing about the Frankfurts that they have in New York? Oh, there's, there's so much junk in there. Co- I, I remember, I'm not sure if this is actually true, but like part of it contains pig's buttholes. Yeah, actually, you know, it, it it does sound funny, but it is true. Um, Didn't realize uh, breakfast could be such an interesting topic of conversation. Yeah, especially when it's uh, killing you at the same time. I can't find it exact. Oh, here we go. Yeah, it does not <laughs> does not sound good. If you so, uh, what we're looking at now is uh, just look up what's in a hot dog. Uh, carcass trimmed from cattle and pigs, including cheeks. Jowls, tongues, lips, gums, eyelids, hearts, intestines, ears, nostrils, tails, snouts, tendons, windpipes, livers, kidneys. You know, that, that's actually not that's, too bad. That's a good selection but, of offal. Yeah, right <laughs> good selection of offal. Uh, salt, bones, blood, just sounds like black pudding. Uh, fat and preservative. So I think what we're more concerned about here is that you're eating the tongue, lips, gums, and eyelids. But but also, if the meat is is not uh, gra- kind of grass-fed and... and Organically raised, and I mean organically in, in the proper sense, not mm-hmm. uh, the rip-off sense. Then all of that organ meat is going to be a massive repository for toxins, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you think about what your liver whammy. is, yeah, your liver is the filter, pretty much. Think about eating all the junk that's going through the pig. It's like foie gras, but uh, using plastic instead of fat. Yeah. I wonder, how do we get to it? Anyway, generally back to the history thing, uh... The morning meal is for poorer people. Um, and this is where I more want to get into bacon and eggs in Europe and the Western world. Uh, breakfast was actually perceived as like a, as gluttony. Uh, it was condemned by, condemned by the church. Um, and it was like a sign that you, you didn't have any self-control because you couldn't, you couldn't fast until lunch or whatever. Um, and by the Renaissance, people were just having bread and beer and in the 17th century, uh, pastries came out and that became a popular option as well. But up until the 1900s, and get this, 1900s, not, not a very long time ago, uh, breakfast was still very, very light. Uh, it's n- nothing like what we have today. And this is where we get to the introduction of bacon and eggs, a very interesting, uh, interesting story with a guy called Edward Bernays, who was the uh, the... Nephew of Sigmund Freud, and uh, he was—I don't know—it's kind of bad to call him a propaganda artist, but he was—he was just a uh, expert in public relations. And uh, it's kind of funny here because you have the uh, the uncle Sigmund Freud, who's a psychoanalyst, very well known, and then you have Edward Bernays, who's uh, the public relations expert. Well, I think I think Bernays, and he—he uh, he wrote a book on it. I can't remember what it's called, but from what. I do know he used Freud's insights from group psychology to 
motivate his insight about what works in what he called public relations. I think he may have been the person that kind of came up with that. Yeah, yeah, he was. He's known as a bit of a uh, father of public relations. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure if this was him. I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but the mm. how he may have been involved with making it socially or not making it socially acceptable, but making smoking cool for women. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, not I, sure. I, if I, I think that, that was, was something he did. I think he was hired by the cigarette companies to try and figure out how can we um, access the market of women for uh, mm. and, and sell them cigarettes because at the time it was uh, socially unacceptable when men smoked cigars um, and women did did smoke cigarettes but not in public and, and on the street. Mm. And I think at the time, in I think this was in New York, the the first not the first feminist but an early group of feminists were staging a march and he got them to he gave out free cigarettes from the company that had paid him and got photos of them with the cigarettes and then it became associated with women's liberation which was obviously uh. a very you know important um important thing and appealed to a lot of of women and so then cigarettes became associated with freedom and independence uh, whilst simultaneously addicting people and yeah. financially enslaving them to corporations. Well, I guess that addiction is pretty much the same with what he did with bacon and eggs. And he this is this stuff isn't a one-off with him. Um, if you just look up Edward Bernays, he's been hired by <laughs> plenty of companies. He's a he's a manipulation genius, uh, really. But what we want to talk about is uh, his association with bacon and eggs so he was uh he was hired by the beechnut company which is an american company now sells baby food but back in the day used to sell ham and bacon and bacon was a uh, pretty low demand and so beechnut said hey uh we want you to uh figure out a way to increase the demand for bacon so vernay's uh went off talked to a doctor and convinced him that because overnight you're sleeping, you lose energy, you're not eating, that is crucial that you have a heavy breakfast, such like bacon and eggs, conveniently. Um, and hence, uh, breakfast became the most important meal of the day. And this doctor that he went to, uh, Bernays asked him to go get his, all his doctor friends to sign this uh, idea. And he got over 5,000 people associated in health to... Uh, and reiterate and reinforce this, reinforce this, uh, this idea. Just a uh, quick side note, actually. Maybe something that people might want to hear more about is the role of experts in public relations and how, for instance, with the sugar or tobacco lobbies, mm. experts have been used to uh, present ed- evidence that they knew at the time was false in order mm. to make these products look healthier than they actually were. And I think the case of sugar... Probably Sugar more more important and at the moment and less known. Yeah, for the majority of people, there's that book by um, Gary Torbs, I think, the case against sugar. Which and is there's a there's good. another one called uh, the Salt Fix, which is mm. which is very good by uh, James. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name because it's insane. But just look up the Salt Fix. He's a, a Harvard doctor, isn't he, or something? Uh yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. I mean, I'm I'm using his expert status now to. Uh, uh, justify my claims, <laughs> but it's, it's just interesting to uh, oh, Dean Nicol- 
De Nicolantonio. Yeah, so he's a doctor. Yeah. Um because you've got you've got this whole other situation where uh salt used to be of course it's not great to you know shovel down bags of salt as the same it's not good to shovel down uh bags of anything. Mm. But uh this whole situation where sugar companies denounce salt publicly to uh make sugar look healthier and advertise it as a healthier alternative. And so again all these are people addicted to sugar and you like even talking with my dad he said every dinner they would have a bag of sugar on the table for what just in case you know they wanted uh with their meat some sugar on their spaghetti that's yeah and and i think just on that uh when you start looking at a lot of labels for stuff it really blows you away how many products that you don't really think of as sweet have mm. so much sugar in them especially yeah. condiments yeah a lot of it's it's kind of annoying. You go to a supermarket, mm. you say, "Oh, you know what? I feel like getting some mustard." Yeah. Pick it up, read the label. There's sugar in it. It doesn't need to have that. And also, we're not saying that all sugar is bad, but mm. we we're, we're really uh, highlighting here processed, refined white sugar. Yeah. It's pretty. It doesn't really have any redeeming qualities. Mm. But saying that, and we will get into this on a later podcast. So this is a whole different topic. Don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much. Yeah, sorry. Um. If you have a choice between, and this this is this point is uh, advocated very highly by Ben Greenfield, and if you think about it, it's very logical. If you have a choice between uh, having refined oil or sugar, always go for the sugar, right? Because refined oils, fats, they get used uh, in the composition of your neurons. So you got all this rancid oil, these uh, free radicals that break down your body, and we're going to talk about that a bit with nitrates in a second. Um, inside your body and they become the building blocks of your body. Sugar is not good, you know, wear down your teeth uh, and make you gain weight because you have excess energy. But the thing about sugar is that it's simple carbohydrate. You can burn it off. You know, a lot of people don't burn it off. But if it's a choice between the two, it's always better to go for the sugar rather than the refined oil. So as a little side note. So with Edward Bernays, the situation with the bacon and eggs worked. Was it healthy? No, of course it wasn't. Just, just on that though, if what is actually wrong with having, if you have some nice organic eggs and some uh, nitrate-free bacon, if you really wanted to, mm-hmm. what is actually wrong with having that for your breakfast or having breakfast in general? Are we arguing here against breakfast? Well, I don't think we're arguing against breakfast, but the and this is again for another podcast, like a, a bit down the track. But there is a lot of evidence for fasting in the morning. There's a lot of evidence for uh, working out while fasting. And there's also the thing that people probably, a lot of people consume too much of breakfast when they're not active enough. So, you know, I'm, mm. I'm not against breakfast. I have breakfast every day. But maybe what you're saying is given the amount of activity that the average mm. person, person engages in on a daily basis... Mm. Probably don't need three meals. Yeah, uh, it's fine to have two meals. I think you can get all you need in two meals, and yeah. it's better for you. Well, because I did a fast recently, that mm. three day one. Yeah, and what I, what I really came to understand was that eating is in a large part psych- psychological, mm. and and this isn't like a new realization. I, I know fasting is really popular and everything now, but it was the first time I'd done a 
a long fast, not just intermittent fasting. And mm. it does it does make you realize how much of your eating habits are a product of your social context. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is weird to think that that's the case because eating is such a almost primal thing. Mm. You, you just think that it's a it's almost like your circadian rhythm, right? It just follows a clock, and yeah. it's and it's it's immutable. Like you, you wouldn't think that it's actually dictated by um, people around you and stuff. Yeah, um, I think uh, having meal times, like your meal times, are. Uh, it's not just dictated by when you're hungry. Mm. It's a lot more going on. Uh, one, I think it, you know, it's a habit, right? Mm. But think, think about how many years you've probably been eating three meals a day. It just becomes ingrained in you. Another thing is that uh, part of your circadian rhythm is dictated by meal times. So your body kind of like knows when you're supposed to eat. And you know, if you have a change that you haven't had a change in like five years, where you skip a meal, probably gonna get pretty uncomfortable with it. It, it all, I guess it all comes down to how active you are, really, and uh, how much energy you actually need. So I get, we're going to get into this uh, nitrates and nitrites topic. So let's uh, just define these two things for a second. Uh, if you remember from your high school chemistry class, the uh, suffix it or eight means there's oxygen present in an ion. So uh, in this case, uh, the ion would be with nitrogen and oxygen. So nitrate is NO3, which is three oxygen particles, and nitrite is NO2, which is two oxygen particles. Nitrates are not only just found in uh, in bacon, or they're, they're found in a lot of vegetables. They're found in lots of food that's processed, like uh, pancetta. It's found in pastrami. It's found in a lot of processed meat, and uh, we're going to get more into why that is in a second. But what we want to talk about is... What happens when you eat nitrates? So, pretty much, it's like a you've got you've got two options with nitrates: um, when they hit your stomach, uh, or when they start being broken down by the bacteria in your mouth, they get turned into nitrite, and then nitrites can be turned into nitric oxide or nitrosamines. Nitric oxide is the one that's good for you. Nitrosamines are not good for you, and that's what's in this bacon, right? That's what gets. That's what uh, gets released into your body. And nitrosamines have been proven to be carcinogenic. Uh, it can cause bowel cancer, a whole bunch of bad stuff. If you want to look it all up yourself, it's not a very uh, inviting list of repercussions for eating them. Nitrites are often contained in processed meat. They, When they uh, interact with the meat, they turn into nitric oxide. Um, and what that does is it allows for preservation and it turns the meat that pinky color that you often see in bacon. So without nitrites in bacon, it would turn gray and it wouldn't last as long because there wouldn't be as much preservation. Now, one of the problems with this is that the reaction that causes the bacon to turn that pinky color is a reaction with the myoglobin in the meat. And myoglobin is present in red meat. That's what makes red meat, red meat. But the thing that's kind of concerning is that the reaction isn't entirely understood. So you're kind of taking that risk where you're eating something and the reason why it turn, it's turned red isn't completely understood. It hasn't been uh, discovered yet. It's obviously been studied, but uh, it's not set in stone. And, you know, this kind of gets worse because, of course, you're, uh, when you cook bacon, it reaches a very high internal temperature. 
um, because bacon's very dry, uh, it's already salted, which makes it even drier. And this results in the generation of nitrosamines. And we already said nitrosamines, carcinogenic, can cause bowel cancer and a whole bunch of other bad stuff. Now, this is where you're probably thinking, all right, well, I've, I've gone to the grocery store um, and I've bought nitrate-free bacon before, so I should be fine. Or I've gone to the butcher and they've given me nitrate-free bacon, so I should be fine. Yes and no. The thing is that sometimes you go to the grocery store, you buy your nitrate-free bacon, and it's still got that nice pinky color, which is kind of weird because it shouldn't do. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be as pink as normal bacon. So that's one thing to look out for. But the other thing is that it will often contain uh, celery extract. And like I said before, nitrates are also contained within vegetables, such as beetroot, celery, lettuce, spinach. And that stuff's good for you because it creates nitric oxide in your body. It's good for your cardiovascular health. And the thing that stops uh, the nitrates in vegetables from turning into nitrosamines is a high vitamin C content and antioxidants. What that means is that uh, you don't get the nitrosamines in your body. You don't get the car- you're not consuming carcinogenic foods by eating beetroot, celery, lettuce, or spinach. But the thing is, when you see celery extract on the back of a bacon packet, they're pretty much just taking the uh, the nitrates from the celery and shoving it in the bacon. And what that means is, you know, you shove it in your pan. It still reaches very high internal temperature. You still get the nitrosamines, and you're still eating something that's carcinogenic. So that's that's kind of what you have to you have to be careful. It's still cured with nitrates from celery, still cooks at high heat, um, and there's still a lot of contention about like, oh no, it's fine because it's from celery. You know, it's a natural source. There's a lot of evidence that it's just as harmful as the bacon that just has normal nitrates in it. So when if you want to buy nitrate-free bacon, I would definitely recommend getting it from a trusted butcher. And making sure that it is actually nitrate free. And when I mean trusted butcher, that means probably one that sells a lot of organic and free range meat. Um, you know, and they're not not selling that horrible, very very pink steak that's wrapped in cling film. And and get to know your butcher as well. Mm. If you're if you're able, you know, financially to spend some money on good meat, um, maybe reduce the amount of meat that you eat, but mm-hmm. uh, spend spend your money on the good stuff. Yeah, and. Uh, Really talk to your butcher when you go you go see them and and find out how they get their meat where they get yeah. it from, and and what their philosophy around meat is. Yeah, because uh, Reese and I, Reese and I go to a butcher, very good butcher, uh, butcher and the chef. Um, if you're in the northern beaches, that's a very very good butcher to go to, and uh, you know we've built a very good relationship with the guy who owns it. Um, we know that. Uh, he goes up and visits the animals a couple times a year that he gets his meat from. He uh, does a lot of hunting, so he knows all the processes. And his philosophy behind meat is, you know, ethical train, uh, organic from good quality sources. So you really want to don't don't take the risk. You know, it's not the end of the world if you don't get to eat your uh, your bacon. There are plenty of other options. But let's just say, you know, you're kind of addicted to bacon. You're not just going to give it up because of this uh, this podcast and we're just talking trash about it and that was a whole marketing strategy. I was a bacon addict once. Yeah, yeah, you definitely were. I had to cook. I cooked you like a packet of bacon one time and like eight eggs. Here's what, here's what it's best to do. If you're having your bacon and you just don't really care but you know it's bad for you, it's always good to consume the bacon with some vitamin C and antioxidants because remember that's what makes a... Uh, 
the nitrates in uh, vegetables like the beetroot and celery uh, not turn into nitrosamines. So consume it with some vitamin C and antioxidants, blueberries, dark chocolate, uh, pound an orange while you're at it. And, uh, you know, it's always better not to have it, but I get it. You need your bacon. Just have some vitamin C and antioxidants. Think that's think that's a bit of a wrap. Thank you for joining us today on our first podcast episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And remember, make sure to go and check out the Agon Supplements website, agonsupplements.com. Got plenty of products you'll be interested in there. And we'll see you next time.